Good morning, everyone. Been a while since I've been up here. Been sick for a little bit. We'll be back in question 31. This will be the fourth part and final part, part D. Our question this morning in the catechism is, wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? Christ's humiliation consisted in him being born in that of a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, and the cursed death of the cross, in being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. My final part today will be being buried and under the power of death for a time. Now, this is a difficult subject that has been debated throughout church history, known as Christ's descension into hell. Now, I want to define some terms this morning before we get started. In the Old Testament, you'll see the word hell, and it is translated from the word sheol. Sheol being the place of damnation to those who are damned, for those who would never believe the gospel. This is this place, spoken of Sheol. In the New Testament, in the Greek, Jesus refers to hell two different ways. He refers to it as Sheol and also Gehenna, if I'm pronouncing that right. Gehenna meaning basically Abraham's bosom the place of the deceased. So as we're reading this morning, it may sound like Christ is in this place, this damnable place of hell, but it's really speaking of him being of that place of paradise, Abraham's bosom. <clears throat> John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave. And you know I've repeated this over and over again. This was his love toward us. He gave. He gave completely of himself poor wretched sinners as us he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life Christ truly gave him himself totally to redeem his people from their sin he paid the penalty due to them in his own body not only in his life by keeping the law on our behalf but in his death by being the substitute substitutionary sacrifice to make atonement for the sins of his elect children whom the father had predestined before the world began let's pray and ask God's help before we go further dear Lord I pray that you would help me this morning Lord in this difficult subject Lord let us let us see your triumphant victory in this time from Friday, when you gave up the ghost on the cross until that Sunday morning to when you walked out of that tomb, Lord. Help us to see this three days, Lord, that you prophesied that would happen to you. Help us this morning, God. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. If you would, turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 12. And we're going to see here where Jesus speaking to the Pharisees spoke of this they were asking him for a sign to prove that he was the messiah and he didn't prove himself by many miracles up to this point in the text right here matthew chapter 12 we look at verse 38 it says then certain of the scribes and of the pharisees answered saying master 
we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, if you would, turn to Jonah chapter 1, because Jesus was specifically speaking of just as Jonah was, so will I be. Jonah right after Obadiah. It's hard to find. <laughs> in the lesser prophets, it's difficult to find some of the books. But in Jonah chapter 1, we want to look at verse 17, and we're going to read from verse 17 through chapter 2 unto verse 6. In verse 17, it says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And I want you to notice Jonah's prayer here, and then we'll see a parallel to the Messiah being prophesied at the same time in this prayer. Verse 1 and 2 says that, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell. Jesus said, Earth. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heard my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depths closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. You could see the imagery here of him being basically encompassed with death, where he could not be released. He could not get out of this. Verse 6, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. I believe this to be the prayer of Christ. If you would, I'm going to have you turn to a number of scriptures this morning. Please forgive me. Let's look at Psalm chapter 18. And we'll see more of this wording. David speaking here. And a lot of times you would think that David is speaking of himself, but in the Psalms, most of it is a lot of times messianic. Psalm chapter 18, let's look at verses 4 through 6. It says that the sorrows of death compassed me and the floods of the ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about, the snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him, even into his ears. Now, we know that when David wrote this, he was not dead. So how can he have been in hell crying and asking of this? It was, it was prophetic. Verse 7. 
Turn to Psalm chapter 22. Look at verse 24. It says here, For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. My Lord, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Turn to Isaiah 53. We, we went over this numerous times in this question. But I want you to see something here in a few verses. That the anguish that our Lord went through now, his descent into the earth, I don't believe it to be him being punished or afflicted. I believe it to be a victorious, triumphant descent. Amen. And we'll get to those texts here in a minute. Isaiah 53, look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. Verse 9. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence. Neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Verse 10, just the first part, 10a, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Verse 11, for he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Notice right there in the first part of 11, it says, speaking of the father, he said, he will shall see the travail of his soul, speaking of Christ, and shall be satisfied. God truly poured all his wrath on Jesus. All the sins that we've committed, those of us who are his children, all of our sins, past, present, future, from the day of our salvation was poured upon Christ. And in this text, it's the, it says that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Verse 12 here, it says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors notice in this verse right here it says and he bare the sin of many not all many turn to Matthew 27 And let, let's look at this moment here. After Jesus' crucifixion. This description of his burial. Matthew 27, let's look in verse 57.
And when the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered, and when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. We see here that the body of Jesus was put into a tomb, and many of us know this story. But we see the tender love of this man who gave of his own tomb to put Jesus in. He was, he was buried in a rich man's tomb. If you would, let's turn to the book of Ephesians and look at this time that he spent this three days when death was upon him. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, talking about Christ's ascension into heaven, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? So we see here that there was a descent that had to happen before an ascension had to happen. And what was the purpose of that dissension? Some people in church history have went to the heresy of saying that he suffered in hell. He told, he told the thief on the cross before he gave up the ghost, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. He did not say you will be in torment with me today. You'll be in paradise. <clears throat> Verse 10, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And you see here in verse 8 that he led captivity captive. You see in this time before the cross, Old Testament saints went to a place what was known as Abraham's bosom and I believe that he went there led captivity captive and brought them with him. Peter speaks of this also. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 19. I'm sorry, I'm in 2 Peter. 1 Peter. <laughs> 1 Peter 3.19 It says, By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which were sometime disobedience, when once the long-suffering God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Let's turn to the book of Acts, and I want to show you two examples of how Peter 
preach this exact point as well as Paul in Acts. Look at Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 25. And in this right here, Peter quoted Psalm 16. Starting in verse 25, it says, For David speaketh concerning him, I for, and talking about Christ, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou will not leave thy soul, I'm sorry, thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither will thy suffer thine holy one to see corruption. God the Father would not leave Christ in the grave. The scripture says that he has the keys to death, hell, and the grave. That descent into the lower parts of the earth was a descent of victory. Verse 28, Thou hast made it known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on the throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that is, his soul was not left in hell. This is Gehenna here, not Sheol, the place of the damned. Neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore we are all witnesses. So we see in this text right here that he was speaking of Christ and not of himself. Turn to Psalm 16 and we'll see where he was quoting here. Psalm 16, verses 9 through 10, and it was almost verbatim. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will thy suffer thine holy one to see corruption. This is the Messiah, not David. Turn to Acts chapter 13 and we'll see the same thing being explained by Paul when he preached in Antioch. Acts chapter 13. Get verse 32. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promises which were made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, and that he hath raised up Jesus again, 
as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, which is Psalm 16 here as well, thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. And he gives a warning right here. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, you despisers, and wonder, and perish. For I work a work in your day, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. The gospel that we preach, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, it makes absolutely no sense to the human mind. Why should I believe in a man that came and declared himself to be king and he was put to death? In our earthly sense, that makes no sense. It looks like he failed. But God said right here in his text, Though a man declare it unto you, you cannot believe it. I believe in the doctrine of election and predestination. I believe that if you have not given eyes to see and ears to hear, this makes no sense to you. You're a despiser. You are a rejecter. This is the gospel we preach, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things. The whosoever in John 3.16. I've heard this argument over and over again. It says whosoever. It says whosoever will believe. Well, can it not mean those who will believe? Absolutely. Jesus said in John chapter 6, No man can come unto me unless the Father calls. Now, I'm not trying to get off topic here, but I'm trying to make a point. What Christ went to do in his dissension he did not go into Sheol, into the place of the damned, because they were damned. Their names were not written in the Lamb's book of life. But to those of them that had faith in him, who were in this intermediate place, Abraham's bosom known as paradise, he did not leave them. He went and got them. And those of us today who have faith in his blood that covers our sins, he promises in his scripture that he will never leave us nor forsake us either. Do you believe this gospel? Or are you a despiser? <clears throat> if you would turn to Mark chapter 4. We'll look at this parable. 
of the seed. Mark chapter 4, verse 10 through 12. <clears throat> it says in, When he was alone, they were about him with the twelve, and they asked of him the parable. Now, Jesus had just told this parable of the three different type of grounds. The ones that fell along the way, the stony ground, and the fertile ground. And his disciples didn't quite understand, so they were asking for an explanation. Verse 11, it says, And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Verse 12, That seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven. That's a direct reference from Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah saw the Lord, and he was high and lifted up. And the Lord said, Whom shall we send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am, Lord, send me. Directly after that, Isaiah said, What am I supposed to say? And God told him this right here, go and tell his people and hear and they will not hear and see and they will not see. For I have hardened their heart, the text says. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. Now Jesus references hell in this scripture, but he does not speak of Gehenna. He speaks of Sheol, the place of the damned. Matthew 10, verse 28. And he says, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, the place of the damned. Friend, or if you're outside of Christ this morning, I call you to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. The one who bore even the penalty of all our sins for his elect children. As we've seen in the scriptures this morning, but some might say, why preach to those who will not believe? But the scripture says in Matthew twenty two fourteen, for many are called, but few are chosen. The gospel call goes out to everyone. The question is this, do you have eyes to see? Do you have ears to hear? John ten twenty seven, Jesus says this, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. The Bible speaks of two different types of people in this world. It speaks of goats and it speaks of sheep. I do not believe a goat can turn into a sheep. I believe a sheep can be lost. And when a sheep is not come to Christ yet and he hears his shepherd calling, 
He'll turn from his sin. He'll come to his shepherd and find green pasture. I ask this morning, do you hear the shepherd calling you? Will you heed the gospel call? To those who believe, rest that no man can pluck you out of your father's hands. For your redeemer bore even the penalty of everything for you. And we can honestly say, just as that song, The Rock of Ages, states, nothing in my hands I bring, but only to your cross I cling. Amen. Let's just rest in prayer. Father, we thank you for these wonderful truths, Lord, that you truly did it all, dear God. The only thing that you asked of us is to believe. And the glory of that, Lord, is you even give, give us the ability to believe. I've been asked so many times, well, how do you have assurance that you're really one of God's elect? And my assurance is this, that I do not look to myself, to my own good works. I look into the lamb that hung upon that cross, the only sacrifice that is acceptable. I look unto him to cover me. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, dear Lord, that's what we do. We look unto you and not unto ourselves. Bless us this morning, Father. Bless the next hour. I pray, dear Lord, that you would call your sheep unto yourself. In Christ's name we do pray and ask this. Amen.